Hi there! Are you someone who lives out of a country you were born in? Or do you aspire to move abroad? Are you simply interested in listening to heart-to-heart stories from people of different cultural backgrounds? If you are, you are at the right place. Welcome to my podcast, Meet the World With, where every week I talk to a person from a different country who has had an experience in living, working, and studying abroad. In this podcast, you'll be able to learn about different programs, job opportunities, tips and tricks, as well here are real-life experiences. Welcome to the Meet the World With, and I'm your host, Isidora. In this episode of Meet the World With, I will have a pleasure to speak to Elisa Tovizi. Elisa was born and raised in Hungary, and over in high school, she started her journey around the world. Join us today and hear about the concept of limitation and stereotypes. Hear how Lisa never allowed to be influenced by stereotypes of coming from a minority group in Hungary as she was the only one who was setting her own goals. If you're interested in learning about a career in psychology, why is it so important to volunteer and get your hands dirty, then I invite you to listen to our chat. Elisa will share her life story, why is the concept of real and chosen family so important to her and anyone who wants to live far away from home. Please help me welcome to the show, Elisa. Lisa, where are you from and where do you live right now? I am from Hungary. I was born and raised here until I was 17 years old. I am from a really, really small town. It's actually a village. I, I wouldn't consider it a town. It's, um, it's about an hour and a half away from the capital, which is Budapest. Um, the village that I grew up in has only like 2,000, not even 2,000 people. It's like incredibly small, you know, the type of place where everyone knows everyone, where people would know me by my grandfather. So they would always say, ah, yeah, you are this and this is granddaughter. Not like, you know, that who I am. No, they would know who my grandparents are. So it's that type of village. And I'm sure many people know exactly what kind of village I'm talking about, especially the Eastern European people. Very agricultural um but it was really really great to grow up there you know the type of place where um your, our parents wasn't very worried about us playing on the street until you know the street lights came on and things like that um and then when i was in primary school in sixth grade it was no longer challenging for me so like it was pretty um obvious from a very early age that i was um talented educational wise so like things came really easy to me um and the school that I went to in this village was really not challenging for me like I got on so easy I never I never studied you know I, I didn't have to do anything and I got the best grades all the time which is which is you know it's because it was really really easy easy like it was designed for students who who were on the lower spectrum of like, you know, the how much they can put into their education. So um, in sixth grade, you know, it was pretty obvious that I was never gonna benefit from that education. So my mom put me into a bigger school in a bigger city, which is, uh, the city's name is Solnok, and that's where my mom lives right now. Um, so I went to a primary school there and that was way more challenging. And then I went to high school there and then when I was 17 years old, I won a scholarship for UWC. I studied there for two years. I went to America for five years and I just came home about six years ago and I currently live in Budapest. Awesome. Awesome. So um, how and when and why did you ever decide to go abroad? I know you you talked briefly about wanting to be uh, more challenged, but where does that need and I, I think that level of bravery come from being a um, minority group in, in Hungary and as well coming from a very, very small village? Where does your inspiration come from and your courage? From there. You, you said that really well. Um, so it's actually really weird whenever anyone asks me that question, because whenever I go back to my village, my grandparents still live there and I see how close-minded people remained in that town. And that's, that's, you know, that's completely fine for them because they just remained in that environment, which is, you know, I'm never judging. It is completely fine. But I was never that kind of person. So like from a very early age, I knew that I want to go. That's all I knew. I didn't know where. I didn't know how. I just wanted to go. I wanted to see. I had a little globe, you know, those, the tiny ones. And then you would, you know, I would always spin it and I would put my finger somewhere and I would be like, that's where I'm going. And then I would 
point in the places like Australia, I really wanted to go to Australia um, because of the koalas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, like, you know, as a child, things like that is important for you. And when I went to high school, uh, I became really critical and like my critical thinking was taking over above the fact that I was doing the Hungarian educational system, you know. And as I said, I think I am uh, pretty talented in like education wise. I think it really came easy to me, but I was struggling with my education just for the fact because I didn't enjoy it. And, you know, when you don't enjoy something, it's really hard for you to focus on it. And it's really hard for you to actually put a, put a time and effort into it. So I still got good grades, but I think my mental health was rapidly declining because I realized that the fact that I am learning from books and I, get, I got no opportunity to be independent whatsoever was not, was not good for me. So I told my teacher once, I had a teacher that I I really confided in and I I found her to be a really good mentor. And I told her once that um, I just want to go because, um, you know, as a gypsy in Hungary and coming from that small village, I felt that my opportunities were very limited, but I wanted to break through that. Like I was like, who says, who says that my opportunities are limited and why do they say that? You know, the only only person that says my opportunities are limited are me, is me. Like, I'm the only one that sets my limits. And why would I, why would I stop? You know, why would I just com- continue this education that I don't enjoy just so I can go to university that I'm not going to enjoy so I can get a job that I'm not going to enjoy, you know? Yeah. Um, so I told my teacher that this is something I want to do, but like, it was a really casual conversation, really casual mentioning. I wasn't pursuing anything. And then um, at, when I was in 11th grade, uh, she gave me a piece of paper, then told me to read it through. And it was the United World Colleges scholarship. And um, I read through and then I went into research mode. So like, I spent two weeks researching what the heck is UWC, uh, what exactly it means, how the scholarship works and all that. And then I decided that this is it. This is my path. This is what I'm going to do. This is my opportunity to take. <laughs> and um, and as I said, you know, as a gypsy, um, maybe for many people, it, it means nothing. You know, okay, you're a gypsy, but whatever, you know, like uh, people are not discriminated against anymore. That's really not true. They, we are pretty, very discriminated against here. And I look like a gypsy um like my skin is really dark my hair is really dark you know so like people do discriminate me against than ever and I felt that I had no chance of winning a scholarship that big just because of the fact that I'm a gypsy and then it was fate I swear to god it was fate as I was doing my research, I realized that the UWC Hungarian National Committee actually had a track that was designed specifically for gypsies, for Romani students in Hungary. So, so I went for that and I was like, okay, great. So like, if they have this, they probably want me. They want students like me there. So I applied and I went through the application process, which was long and tiring and emotionally draining. And everyone who's a UWC student knows what, what I'm talking about. It was, it was hard. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then I won at the end. I did not win the one that was for the gypsy students. They put me into the normal scholarship procedure, like in the mix of everyone. And I won a scholarship to United World Colleges of the Atlantic, to Wales. And then I went there. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty I, much how it came. It's so amazing that, that you speak with so much energy and so much pride about your heritage. And um, I definitely do agree that there is a stereotype, at least where I come from, you do not expect from a uh, Romani minority or, as, as you freely say, a, a gypsy minority is what, uh, in the end, to, to be interested in school, to be interested in furthering their education, of going abroad. When you speak of that certain population of people, you usually have very limiting ideas and i i think it's so awesome that you're breaking the stereotypes by by an example you're leading with an example and 
I, I think it's even better for your story as a, as a personal story that you did not in the end go on a track that was the designated for a um, student of a minority population, but you actually won in a general selection process. And I, I think that that just proves even more that you broke all the possible stereotypes there could have been. Yes, and I think more importantly, I broke my family stereotypes, which I was the most proud because um, my family is considered educated. Like from where we are from, we are pretty educated. My sister has a university degree. My mom has a university degree. And they were the first two in the whole family. And I've got a huge family. Uh, and they were the first two women who got a university degree. And I am the first one that got uh, degree abroad that actually went and studied somewhere really abroad and uh, made you know my future somewhere else not in Hungary um, and I found that to be more inspirational than actually breaking the glass ceiling of the society in Hungary in a sense you know because um, because you know where you're from where you come from what kind of examples you have in front of you really matters and um and what my mom said as an example was a breaking point for me was like, okay, this woman, and she got her university degree when she already had me and my sister. So um, she was a working mom and she went to school uh, at the same time. So I was like, okay, so if this woman can do it, I can do it, you know, and they were incredibly supportive. And I think that also really matters when, when we are talking about studying abroad and making your life somewhere else is that you have you have a support behind you, you know, that really matters. Um, And as as for Hungary and like, um, you know, as gypsies uh, trying to uh, set a positive example, it was hard. And I remember um, when I got the scholarship and people started paying attention to me that I did that as a gypsy, they wanted to do an interview with me for one of the newspapers that was um, openly racist. So mm-hmm. the newspaper would, would be like uh, making propagandas against uh, all minorities in Hungary. And they wanted to like, you know, better their names by making like a piece on someone who got a really good opportunity. And they wanted to uh, frame the article in a sense that, oh, look, you can do that. Like, why aren't you more like that gypsy? Why do you have to be the bad gypsy and things like that? And I said no to that immediately. And I was like, I'm not going to be your scapegoat, you know, like I'm not going to be the one that you can use to shame other gypsies. But I did do other interviews for other uh, newspapers and they were all very well uh, received. They were very uh, positive. Um, I got really good and positive feedbacks from those. Yeah, but a lot of people wanted to use me, you know, as the kind of, like, I call it a positive discrimination. Uh I don't know if that's the right word for it, but I'm sure you know what I mean. It's when they still discriminate, but in trying to make it in a positive way, so. They just, like, throw in a little bit of gold on top of you and and here, look. But, you know, you said something that's that kind of struck me and I I think we, we definitely need to dedicate some time to that and that's having the the strong female role models that inspired you to study abroad and actually um, know your calling. So do you want to tell us what what your major was all about and what you've studied and and tell us where where did you even get an inspiration to do? And I know, but I don't think our listeners (laughs) know what your calling is. Yeah, so I got my degree in psychology um, in Westminster College. And I went into the track of developmental psychology. So I worked with kids uh, for a long time. And at the same time, I also worked with adults in a mental health hospital. Um, But throughout those years that I was working in a mental health hospital with adults, I realized that I do not want to work with adults. (laughs) So that's just not my calling. You know, it's uh, it's just not what I wanted to do with my life. Um, So, yeah, so I went into psychology for the sheer purpose of trying to help people like really I know that this is cliche and I know many people say that but I did feel that for a long time I was looking for my purpose I was looking to see what exactly am I supposed to do with my life I wanted to be a doctor um, because that doctor helps people too but then I I just 
I don't, I didn't feel that that would be me, you know, like I, I respect doctors 100%, you know, but I didn't feel that I wanted to, that's what I wanted to do with my life. And I was always interested in psychology and uh, my favorite movie is Good Will Hunting, which is, <laughs> which is a prime example of what a psychologist can do. <laughs> exactly. um, so whenever I watched that movie, that's when I realized like, oh, yeah, I want to be a psychologist. And my mom's profession is pretty close to um, a psychologist, but it's um, she's more of a social worker. Like she has more of a social worker degree. I could not translate you that it, into English what exactly her degree is, but I think social work is the closest one to her. And um, and she did that as well just because she just wanted to help other people because um, while she was growing up, they really didn't have much and I mean that like um she keeps telling us stories of Christmases where they didn't even have Christmas trees and they didn't they were not able to buy even food you know not even gifts you know, like they didn't even think about buying gifts and she always said that she just wants every children to never experience what she went through and when I was growing up and me and my sister were growing up they didn't have much my parents they were not by any means, they weren't rich, but um, they worked so hard for us to never go hungry or to never have experienced something that we are missing. Like we always had really nice clothes, you know, we always had toys, we always had everything that we needed, but they worked really hard for it. And that was whenever I became, you know, aware of my mind and then when I, I, I started to realize what our parents did for us, um, the more and more I appreciated it, obviously. And and I think this is where you break a generational cycle that now I am working that if one day, if I'm going to have kids, that they're going to have even more than I did. And then their kids can have even more than I did. And, you know, but you know what I mean? Like this cycle is just going to keep going. And, and my mom was the one that broke it. So I feel that this is my chance this is my opportunity to further what she did to further her work uh, because she did all that she could and she did it amazingly you know she was amazingly supportive alongside with my dad as well so yeah so psychology came into the picture and whenever I took my first psychology class I realized that this is it this is what what's gonna be this is what I want to do um so I did, I did the psychology degree. And as I said, I worked with mentally ill adults. So I learned a lot. And um, I don't know if people who listen to this podcast know about me and Isadora actually lived together for, for a little while. Um, so Isadora knows all about how passionate I used to be about psychology. And I still am. Like I would talk about it for hours about researches that I read and I did and all that. And after I graduated, I started working with foster kids in the American foster care system. I was a case manager, which is um, really close to a therapist, but not exactly a therapist. It was more one-on-one -on -one mentoring of kids. Mm -hmm. So I get, at all given time, I had about 17 to 21 kids that I was working with. Um, it is a lot. It was um, it was very time consuming and very stressful, but it was so worth it. And basically, like these kids are in the system. All of my kids were in the system, but some of them lived with foster parents. Some of them lived in group homes. So not all of their stories were very similar. And I wanted to build a relationship with all of them so that they know that they can trust me and they know that they can rely on me. And I think my biggest success throughout this year that I was working with them is that I managed to get two of my kiddos adopted. Oh, really? So, yeah, so two of my babies got adopted. Um, and one of my older kids, one of my 16-year-old teenager, got guardianship with her uncle. So um, these were really, really great, amazing memories. And I feel that if... If I were to stop everything I'm doing tomorrow, I already made a big difference on the world because my two-year-old little girl, um, that she was my very first kiddo. She was one year old when she came to my care. I was her legal guardian. I was all of these kids' legal guardian, which is a huge responsibility. But this little kiddo was one year old. Her mom was a drug addict and she was left on the floor of a crack house, basically a one year old, gorgeous little girl. And when she came into care, I took her to a foster home 
And whenever I took her there, I had a feeling that I just brought this kid home. You know, like this is what this little girl's home is going to be. And one year later, they adopted her. So, <laughs> you know, and that was, um, and I don't want to uh, make it that all about me because it was really not all about me, but um, I worked really hard for that to happen for them to be able to adopt her in such a short time because I did not want this little girl to be able to remember what happened to be able to even comprehend you know what she went through because even by the age of one she went through more than most people in their lifetime which is you know it's really hard for us to understand but yeah and that's that's exactly what I keep continue doing so right now I am doing volunteering work with various organizations here in Hungary that work with kids um and at the same time because that because psychology is such a diverse degree uh, yeah. for money i am working for a european union project and i am managing that project no that, that's amazing i i am flooded with the amount of information that you just poured onto me and i i think it's it's beautiful that um you wanted to be a doctor and what you're telling me right now in my head doctor is someone who heals you and not necessarily um your organ is the one that needs to be healed or your leg is broken and it has to be fixed i think healing your soul and healing your mind is as important as healing in any physical part of your body so you being able to heal someone and give them assistance and support I think that's priceless and as equally important as, as, as a surgeon. And um, another thing that I think stuck with me, and um, I, I'm going to ask you a little bit more to elaborate on that, but that's you being able to give your heart and soul into um, a system that is not even your own. Uh, you, you were not born in a bilingual family. Actually, you were born in a bilingual family, but... English was not a, one of those languages right. and you being able to connect with those kids and, and help them feel as their home and find them a new home. How, how was that? And how, how did you even deal with listening and watching and being able to, to help them or not being able to help them? And then in the end of the day, having to go back home and be normal again with yourself and just continue living your life. It was really hard. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, the fact that there are some jobs that you just cannot pluck out of, and this was one of it, that I, I took it home. A lot of the times I brought home with me, uh, with my emotions, and I was I did find breaking points quite a lot. And as I said, I had about 20 kids at all times, and some of them, not, not some of them, a big number of them, but teenagers. And as we know, teenagers are not always the most grateful people on earth. Um, so I, it was really hard. But, but you know, when you're a compassionate person like me, when you are very, um, when you feel other people's emotions on a level that is not necessarily healthy to feel other people's emotions, it becomes a part of you. And I know that this is not necessarily healthy and I'm not saying that, but in a sense, it helped me to understand my kids, to understand where they are coming from, to understand that they are struggling. They are struggling on levels that I will never be able to understand just because I grew up in a great family. Um, but I managed to understand them and I managed to to find a connection with them. And I think that's what matters to me at the end of the day. And for me, a hard skill that I had to learn was compartmentalizing my brain to, um, yes, there are bad things that I witnessed and I saw, like I, I read stories that I will never be able to shake off. I am like everything that you can imagine, child molestation, um, rape, uh, abandonment, neglect, all that. It was, we read really horrible things. But when you focus on the good, it helps. It helps your little soul, I think. And, and I try to focus on the good, good, good things always that, even there were days when there was no good, I still tried to find something that, oh yeah, this kid that I haven't talked to in like two weeks because she didn't want to talk to me actually called me today. 
because she needed my help with something, even if it was something super small as she just needed clothing money or something like that. But she did call me, you know, so um, I think that's that's very important. And for the question that, you know, this was all in America back in the U.S. And that's not my home. And I know that. And um, I had my differences with America. And as you know it, too, I did not find my home. I did not find my destiny in America, but these are kids and I just didn't care where, where they are kids, what kind of nationality they have. They were just children to me that just needed help and just needed somebody to be there for them. And when I came home, I realized that the system here is just bad. It's just bad. And I know that they will need people like me um, to reform it, to make it better. You're you're living a um, one of the core long long forgotten UWC missions where you do a go around the world and you you pick up the best things you can and then you come home and you help your home be the better version of itself. Right. Um, exactly. And that's that's I think that's really important that you mentioned it because that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Like, like obviously there is no secret behind that America is much more developed than than Hungary is, and I think what I learned there I can. I can make it work here, you know, I can um, double my knowledge here and actually uh, put it into practice. And that's exactly what I'm going to be doing, hopefully long term um, here in Hungary. That's that's exactly what I want to do. And, you know, here comes into the question always that why did I come home? Is it the reason why I came home? And this is actually a big reason for why I came home is because I felt that I can do good here. And why would I not do good here um, if I can do it, you know? I mean, you, you applied your, your best of yourself and, and you helped in the place where you currently were at a time and that was in the U.S. But if you felt that you can do even better or you can help anyone back home and in the end of the day, um, I, I, I think you, you will agree with me on some levels that you do have this this feeling that um, you are you are in debt to, to your country, you're in debt to your family, you're in debt to your people just for the pure fact of you coming from the place where you were born, your ancestries, and you need to do all that is in your power in the end of the day to help better that place and improve the conditions. Exactly. That's, that's exactly how I feel. And I think that's another UWC uh, spirit and mission is to always go back to your roots and try to do your best to make a difference, to put your footprint on something. And that's, uh, I think that's my calling. And as I, and exactly as it was said before, is it's a learning process. And if I can learn something in a different country, you bet I will go there and learn it and then bring it home and make it work here. Um, because it just, it never hurts. You know, if it works somewhere else, I'm sure you can make changes to fit it into your own country into your own culture and they will already make it much better than it was before well, you know, and that, learning from each other as nations and it's multicultural thing that's going on and i, I think it's beautiful i i don't necessarily think that it's dividing us but i i actually think it's bringing us closer and, and connecting us so kudos to you really good job i'm so proud of you for coming back home and doing what you're you. doing right now i i, I think it's it's great and um since you you've seen already so much and and you worked in the area and you've tried a couple of different areas um what do you have to say to anyone who might be interested in in a career of um, psychologist or um, social worker or anything in in that area or what to do with that degree when they're done oh, advice um i think do it um because you want to do it don't do it because there is any kind of pressure on you because this is psychology and social work and just these these areas of work where you actually have to help people uh, cannot be forced because if you force it good things don't come out of it so i am a true believer of um just do it when you feel the calling that, that that's what you want to do, that that's exactly what you need to be doing. And my advice is that I wish I did before I started into psychology is to do internships, do volunteering work into areas that you feel that you might be good at. Like 
I wish I had volunteered more with kids before I started my career because I think it would have been easier. Um, I was never, uh, I, I never had so much money. So like for me, like uh, donating money was never, never really a question, but I could donate my time, you know? And that, that's when I realized that I've got time. I've got all this that I can give. I've got my great thinking. I got my compassion. I got my enthusiasm that I can also donate, you know? And that's, that's a really good way to think about it that um, not it's not only money that people need. People need humanity. People need love. They need care. And that's exactly what you can also do. And if you do that before you start all of these career changes, when you start all of thinking about what you want to do in your life, um, try it out. Try it out if it works for you. Um, there are so many great organizations, global organizations, or even I'm sure you can find some in your own country but they would love to have volunteers because when I came home, that's exactly what I realized that even though COVID is killing the NGOs here and I'm sure around the world, um, they still always need volunteers that help them, that work with them. And that's exactly what I did. Even yeah. after I already had my degree, you know, and I already had all this um, experience in my field. I, I think you are calling right now something that is so important and that is get your hands on something. And if if I were to advise anyone, if they were interested in a degree in poli-sci or in transnational studies, it would be that. It would be get your hands on, get your hands dirty and try, try to help out. And it's so amazing that even now when you've established yourself, you've been in this sector, you've been working years, you are still aware and even more amplifying the need to go around and help. And um, from a point of view of someone who studies uh, the, the investment, not only monetary, but of the human capital, trust me, I'm, I'm definitely confirming your theory. This world needs people. It, it needs your time and your time. Yes, it is priceless, but trust me, for you investing it or anyone, any one of us investing it, it is worth so much more than you just simply donating a couple of dollars to any charity. And don't get me wrong, if you do have spare bucks, do definitely give right. them around. But make sure you're giving yourself. It will leave a longer impact on this society than rather you just giving money. Yes, I, I completely agree with that. And I think it's very important that people realize that you can do like right now I'm doing what I'm doing for money that is paying me, it's paying me good amount of money that I can donate back into something that I'm really interested in. Like currently I am, you know, I'm donating into the, you know, a scholarship here in Hungary so we can send more students uh, in the years to come. Um, so what I'm doing for money is different than what I do in my free time. Like, I don't know if I explained that well. So I have a nine to five job, which is completely fine. You know, uh, you get paid for it. That's your money. And I manage a European Union project, which is really interesting to me. I learned so much that I think I will be able to use in the future in whatever field I will go into, because as we know, you know, politics plays a role in everything. Like it's not, a, it's not a secret. It plays a role in everything. <laughs> don't tell so, <laughs> so, you know, you're learning that. Great. But I realize that I still have all this time and I still have all this passion and I still have the drive to do something else. So I, I, I do it for free because why, why not, you know? Um, and I am mentoring kids right now. I am working with gypsy students in an, with an organization here in Budapest. Um, I'm working with the UWC Hungarian National Committee, which uh, has been uh, a lot of the time here recently because we are just doing the selections. And for that, I am actually coordinating the economically and social disadvantaged scholarship portion of it, um, which I found extremely satisfying. Like I, I found it that I was doing something that I was meant to be doing from the beginning. Um, you know, and I am always looking for other ways to be doing something good. So I'm definitely going to keep doing the mentoring program because kids need mentors. Um, I don't think that's a secret either. Um, 
some kids, even if they have great relationships, for example, with, the, with their parents, but the kids are working if they don't have uh, parental figures that they can rely on, you know, they need a person they can trust and they can tell that person everything in their life. And that also requires from me, from all the mentors, some kind of compassion and some kind of enthusiasm and hard work and love. And I realized that I have so much of that. So I just, I, I give it whenever I can. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. I wanted to ask you something. Uh, we've kind of uh, touched upon that a couple of times, but did not go in a little more deeper um, area and aspect of it. But how much has actually COVID changed your life from your um, perspective of a psychologist, but as well a human being? You, you are affected just as much as we all are. Yes, um, definitely. Like it's actually been, it's going to be a year on the 15th of March that I've been in a lockdown for a year, basically, because whenever COVID started, I was still in America. So they put us into quarantine for like two, three months. I was working from home, which was extremely, extremely um, difficult, you know, to work with kids and from home. So like I was doing Zoom calls with my kids. That was, that was absolutely horrible. Um, and I think as the time was passing and COVID was still here and it was just not going anywhere, I think I realized that around me, everyone's mental health was rapidly declining. And I don't know. If, I, I mean, I'm sure it was due to the fact that we couldn't socialize as much anymore. You know, like personal touches are so important for other people and you could not even give a hug to your friends or give a hug to someone that you would normally, you know, greet with a hug, you would be standing six feet apart and just like say hi. And that can take a toll on anyone's mental health. And it took a toll on mine as well. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. I was not, not okay for a long time. And when I came home, I had a little bit of break from COVID because during the summer, um, Hungary had like not as strict restrictions, which, you know, backfired because <laughs> after that we went into really strict lockdown, but that was great. So like I, I got a break and then around November, October, November, we hit a really low point here in Hungary and we went into another really strict lockdown and it's still going on right now. And I think the way it affected me is that I don't know what's normal anymore. You know, like, I don't know, um, I'm watching a movie and I see people like partying or going to the bars and I'm like, where's your mask? What are you doing? You know, and then I just forgot that it's completely normal to, for people to go into bars and go to party. Um, but yeah, what I think psychologically has affected a lot of people is the fact that um, they've been just isolated for so long from other people. And, you know, for me, I'm trying to protect everyone around me, trying to protect myself, trying to protect my grandparents. For example, they are super old. And if they would get it, you know, I, I, I'm sure it would be, it would not have a good outcome. Uh, but at the same time, how do you protect your own mental health? And when you're a child, you know, here comes again, children. When you are 16 to 18 years old, these are your prime years. This is when you make the most, this is when you form the most meaningful relationships of your life, like psychology and developmental speaking. That's exactly when, when you would form all those meaningful relationships and you cannot, you physically cannot, you know, I don't know what the long-term effects of this is going to be mentally, but we are going to have some serious work to do to uh, correct what we are doing right now. So, and like when you're even younger than that, when you're like 10 years or younger, you don't even understand, you know, you don't understand why you cannot go to school, why you can't see your friends. What is this virus have to do with it? You know, you don't see it. It doesn't exist. This is basically the kid's way of thinking. So that's affecting them too. It's affecting parents because it's exhausting to always, you know, do all those kind of activities with the kids to keep them occupied. So, you know, I'm hoping the vaccines are going to yeah. put an end to it because I'm, I'm tired of it. Oh, no, I feel you. I, I'm someone who's very touchy-touchy and I, I definitely do miss giving random hugs and kisses. And even in Serbia, we kiss three times when we greet each right. other. I think the hardest 
part um, for our people to understand was that from now on you no longer kiss each other when you see each other it's like a fist bump or an elbow bump or whatever and I think uh, I think we took it hard but um, I, I want to ask you something and I, I kind of maybe even know but I'm always interested in finding out um, something else even though we've been friends for so long but you, you, you are someone who's been around and you've traveled around and you lived on two different continents what is the best moment um, of you living abroad? Oh, uh, there are so many. Um, best, <laughs> I'm like, I hope some moment. of them include me too. <laughs> um, Jokes on the side. So I think the best moments are one of my, I think my proudest moments as well, when I was really proud of myself. And that's when I graduated from UWC, for example, when I got my IB that I've worked so hard for, um, I can't, like, I'm not as proud of my diploma, of my university degree as I am of my IB, because I think it was 10 times harder, (laughs) right, right, like, I think everyone agrees with me that the college was nothing compared to what we did in IB, Um, and I think when we graduated, um, that was, that was something else, and I remember the feeling of, um, it was such a mix. I've never felt so many emotions because I knew that it's done. It's over the two years in UWC. This is it. Um, saying goodbye to all those amazing people that you've met along the way um, was really difficult. But at the same time, you felt such a pride that, you know, I, I consider myself an emotionally intelligent person, but I could not process those feelings because it was just so much (laughs) yeah and I think in the U.S. when I lived in the U.S. my best moments I I could not tell you one really good moment but but I think the people around me uh, will always be the high point and and I can't you know I cannot pinpoint moments of of this but the amazing people I met and I formed relationships along the way. Um, like people maybe don't even realize what an impact they had on my life. And I'm looking at you, Isidore. <laughs> like, um, you know, or I could, I, I don't want to name other people here, but there were so many people that just touched me. And I realized that there are just so many good people in this world. And I had the privilege of meeting them and being around them and doing all of this fun stuff in our young 20s and late teens, you know, early 20s. We did all of these things together. Uh, I think that's that's what I will carry with me forever is the people. It, it definitely shapes you. You wanting it yes. or not, it defines who you are in the end. But um, before I ask you the two of my last questions, I have another one that just I, I think you are someone who can definitely um, give a professional advice as well. And uh, what is something that you wish you knew before you started your experience? And one one thing that you were like, Damn, I really wish I knew this. I can be either a UWC or um, moving to US or getting your passport for the first time and going to a neighboring country. So I don't know if you're looking for something practical or like visa processes or something. I wish I knew how, how, or like the immigration in the US are ridiculously difficult. That is like filing your taxes, you know. But I think what emotionally I was not ready for is the goodbyes. I will never, I don't think anyone will ever be ready for that. Um, when you live in more than one place in your life, you feel that you are never, never completely at home ever again. Because for me, home is people. Uh, home is not a place for me. It's not, it's not the four walls I'm in. It's where I feel content. It's where I have my people I can trust. And you form relationships throughout, even you know, UWC is only two years. And when you say it's two years, it, eh, it's two years, you know, whatever. That's nothing in, in your, I don't know, average life of 80. That's nothing. But that's exactly what it is. It's two years of intense relationships. Like in two years, you form relationships you would never form in your life. And when you have to say goodbye, it breaks you. Like it broke me in all kinds of different ways, you know, that I thought I will never recover. And... 
I think that's that's what I wish someone would have told me that to be ready for that because I was definitely not ready. And even in the US, you know, I, I was one of the ones like, you know, we had our little friends group, which is not as little, but it was like, you know, like a 20 people little, I don't know. Right. And <laughs> I was one of the ones that stayed the longest. Um, and I said goodbye one by one to each and every one of you. And one by one, I felt that my heart died a little bit all the time, you know, until it was only like three of us left. And then I left. Yeah. And then I had to say goodbye to those two people that I left there and not to like maybe, I don't know, like four or five people that I was really close to. And I said goodbye to them. And and then I came home and, you know, the emotions that I wish someone would have told me that I will experience emotions you never thought you had. And when you try to talk to someone that has never gone through this, like I love my friends here and they are one of the reasons why I feel amazing here is because of my Hungarian friends. But whenever I try to talk to them about what I went through, I cannot tell them because they have not gone through that, you know, and you have. And all the people that um, I studied with in UWC and in America have gone through that. And you understand what I'm talking about is is just you learn yourself, you learn about yourself on such a deep level that I think that can only happen when you leave your comfort zone, when you leave where you were born, when you leave where you were raised and you go and find yourself, because that's basically what I did for seven years. I was trying to find myself and I think I did. I did. Okay. I think I did a good job. I think you did pretty great because I remember you coming as a freshman and then right now you're all grown up and I, I think it's wonderful and it, it's so awesome that you're you're speaking about the emotions as as a key lesson because I, I I highly agree with you I wasn't ready and I wasn't ready to say goodbye and to this day I don't think I even know how to say goodbye I avoided by saying I'll see you later and I, and I'm right. hoping that I'll always somehow see you later and it does happen these weird things happen you might see your friends in the airport unfortunately due to this whole COVID situation we have to hang out in these uh, virtual worlds but fingers crossed it's gonna end soon and then we can all meet up and and again continue building these relationships in a more natural way that it is to us right yeah I agree and you know and I didn't mean this in a negative way I don't know no, if no. anyone's listening to this will take it I, I meant it in an absolutely beautiful positive way is yeah. that even though you say so many goodbyes, but they are not goodbyes. You know, you're not saying them forever. Um, sometimes, yeah, maybe you don't speak to each other for months at a time or for years. But whenever it comes to that, like, oh, hey, Isadora, I'm coming to Serbia. And then you yeah. would be like, oh, great, <laughs> you know, or something. So you don't say goodbye forever. You always have that. You will always cherish those relationships and those emotions. And I think, I, I don't think what you meant is in any sense negative. It's just that uh, for anyone who ever stayed abroad for an extensive period of time the people that you meet they become your family those are the ones mm -hmm. who bring you soup when you're sick who visit you in hospital when when you're again sick those are the people who are there for your birthdays for the goods and bads and they're right. there when you haven't studied and you're trying to cram for your exam or you haven't slept because um you're having so many papers to write and they just randomly pop in and bring you coffee i remember my first days at work in u.s when I was about to leave you were one of the people who actually made me stay longer and took me into an apartment and that's how we became another extended family right before I was about to leave US and I remember you coming by my work and dropping off um, cute sweets and cards and just making my day and, and having someone to believe in me I, I think that is the hard part is that you you never want that to be true. But if you could put those people in, in a suitcase and just bring them wherever you are, I think that would be the best way of resolving yeah. this problem. Yeah, and I think that's a great point that these relationships form out of, not I don't think it's out of need, but what I'm trying to say is that these relationships are not based by blood. You know, we are not actually like family, but we are we have been stuck with each other because because we just wanted to, you know what I mean? Like it's it's just the most natural form of relationship forming is because 
um, it benefited everyone and it was just, we needed it to survive, you know? And that's when I think the best relationships form. Of course, of course. Okay, so since we're running out of time, I need to ask you two last questions and I ask everyone this. What are you currently reading and what's your gem? What am I currently reading? It's a Hungarian book. Um, oh it my God, I don't Hungarian know in English. It's psychology. Well, hopefully hmm? maybe some people from Hungary will be listening to this podcast. So, Hungarian. so it's called The Book of Faith. So like short könyv in Hungarian. Um, it's a psychology book. It's basically about finding your path, which is very, you know, unique. <laughs> But I have never actually read a book like that because um, uh, I think you know that, but I've always been pretty much against this whole like self-help kind of situation because I don't think people should be profiting off of uh, people who are like having some kind of personality crisis and many people profit off of it. But this, the one I'm reading is more of like a compilation of researches of over the years uh, of how um, people and their thinking can change and what you can do, you know, to, to better yourself. And I think it's very, very important right now. And I, I actually started reading it due to COVID because as, as, as many people I have felt lost with COVID um, and it's, it's been a really great book. I do definitely recommend it to someone. And I also recently read more of a fiction that's called They Both Die at the End. Uh, it's sad. It's basically about like a, like it's basically about um, a utopian world where um, people know exactly when they are going to die. So like you get a notification 24 hours before you die and then um, you make the most of your life. And it's about two boys falling in love. So it was really cute. Um, But it was really sad at the end. <laughs> and what's my jam? What's my jam? Jesus. Um, you know, my playlist could not be <laughs> any more diverse than it's, as it is. But there is a song right now that I've been really playing. Uh, it's called My Mind um, by Dinoro, I think. And um, I like it because of the lyrics. So... Um, I, I think listen, listen to it. I think you're gonna like it too. It's basically about that, uh, about trusting another person and letting that person into your mind and guiding them through your mind. And then there is a, uh, there is one part of it that says, uh, "Be careful, please be kind. Don't disrespect my trust." And I felt that. I felt that on so many levels when you let someone close to you, you know, please be kind. <laughs> and it's a really good song. I would, I would. I recommend it. That, that's awesome. I love that um, everything that you even read and listen to somehow has this un underlying. I know. And I, I think people might think that I'm kind of like lying about this, but I'm not. No. This is the first time on my playlist. Hey, I actually know you, so I can vouch for you. I know. This is true. I know, yeah. Lisa, thank um, you so much for being so open and so willing to talk about your personal experiences and your life abroad. And I really hope that um, my listeners are going to enjoy our talk as much as I did. And I wish you all the best. And I can't wait to see all these other amazing things that you're going to do and help other people because we do need more people like you. <laughs> Thank you. And thank you so much for the opportunity to share my story. I haven't talked about this openly about myself and my story in a very long time. So I, I definitely, it was very, very beneficial for me too. So thank you. And thank you for your podcast. I, I think it's the best thing in a long time. <laughs> so good luck to you too. Thank you, Lisa. Bye. Thank you.